Welcome to Notes from the Field, brought to you by Noeo Science. All right, Gordon, how are you? I am doing well. Merry Good Christmas. Merry Christmas. Good to see you too. And today we're talking about uh, a really, you know, when you hang out with biology enthusiasts, you often, I mean, everyone is pretty opinionated about what their favorite creatures are. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're a herp guy, I'm a bird guy. That's not to say that we don't appreciate oh, and, man. E- and increasingly enjoy other fauna. We, yeah, we, we love flora. a lot. We do love anything that's green or wiggles. Yeah. We pretty much like, we, we like it all. We're big fans. Yeah. Um, and, but there are certain groups that kind of stand out oh, uh, amongst enthusiasts as, as kind of just remarkable and special. And this one group, it, more and more, it stands out to me yeah. for its uniqueness yeah. in the animal kingdom. And also uh, just because, yeah, there's just nothing, there's nothing quite like this oh, diverse yeah, group. It's otherworldly. Otherworldly. Yeah. And what made me think of the, the group, we were doing an episode on skin. And oh, yeah, that's that, right. That made me think, well, what's, what, what group has the most fantastical yeah. <laughs> skin? That's and right. So, any, any guesses out there? Um, yeah, what, what, is that, what is that root word for skin in, the, in biological jargon? And then insert that into some phylum. Yeah, phylum, which is a major, major group of organisms. And we know that the word skin is derm. I think that's Greek. And then the word for spiny is echinos. Yeah. So this phylum we're going to talk about today is phylum echinodermata. Yes. And so, and it's one of those phyla that is exclusively, as far as we know, marine. Yeah. Um, There's no freshwater examples of it. No freshwater species. And it includes what? What, what do you it want? It includes all kinds of cool things. You know, it includes the, the sea stars, yeah. which we might call starfish. Uh, it includes the- Brittle stars. The brittle stars. Which are a similar but lankier star, sea star. Yeah. But it's not a sea star. It's in a different class. It includes the sand dollars. Right. Sea urchins. And sea biscuits. Which look sea like, biscuits. Sea biscuits. Or they sea crackers. <laughs> sea biscuits look like somebody added a, ba- a bunch of yeast to a sand to a dollar. Sand dollar. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's so true. <laughs> they got a little more, um, a little puffier. more depth, a little puffier. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and then you've got the, did you already say sea cucumbers? We didn't say the sea cucumbers yet. Yeah. And um, sea lilies. And so this group even requires, if you just think about their common names, they require some pretty hefty descriptive names. Yeah. Uh, these are, and they do a pretty decent job uh, here of describing these creatures. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is, the, this is the realm, or many of these creatures, I should say, not all, and that's always the case in biology. Many of these creatures, but not all. Yeah, oh because yeah. Because the Lord loves diversity, and he's created oh, yeah. his world to have lots of different varieties. Yeah. And, um, but this but tends to be- Yeah, this tends to be uh, the, uh, the world- the creatures are found in is the intertidal zone, yeah, which you and I both are, are big fans of, right? And because previous... that, you don't require you know <clears throat> a, a lot of money to go down and beachcomb, that's right, or look at tide pools. Just got to get there. Uh, now there's a lot of echinoderms that do you know 
that are all over the ocean down in the deep sea, but at least we've got a good a good spectrum of uh, echinoderms that live in that intertidal zone between high tide mark and the low tide mark. That's right. And this zone is some of some of my favorite reads of late uh, have been by people who have explored these these zones. We we talked a little bit about Ed Ricketts yeah. uh, previously. Ed Ricketts, well known for really kind of being the the epicenter of of kind of the marine biology world in in central California there at Monterey. Mm-hmm. Um, he was he was a, a he was a, a biologist, and uh, he was good friends with um, the famous writer John Steinbeck. And mm-hmm. uh, the story goes that Steinbeck grew weary of of the press after he published Grapes of Wrath. The capitalists kept calling him a communist. The communists kept kept calling him a capitalist, and he just wanted to escape. Right, and so uh, he and Ian Ricketts, his good friend, hired a sardine boat and went down the coast around the tip of Baja and spent six weeks collecting invertebrates. Yeah, in the, the, sea, of in the sea of Cortez or the or Gulf the, of California. Yeah, yeah, and so uh, we have a lot of the history of of the field. The history of intertidal ecology is a is a cool one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess Steinbeck uh, wrote a book. What was it called? The Sea of yeah, this sea one was Cortez. the Sea of Cortez. It was, yeah. I think he had two. I was corrected. I thought it was his only nonfiction, but apparently he has another nonfiction okay. about a story of yeah. him and his cat traveling around. Oh, wow! And you know Steinbeck, uh, you know, absolutely a a um, I would say an an outgoing <coughs> humanist, an evolutionist. Oh, uh, but he can describe one of God's creatures really well. Mm-hmm. And in that book, he 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 uh, he gets close. Sometimes these enthusiasts of creatures, you just pray the Lord would break. Yeah, break or that just, blindness. Yeah, just uh, cause those scales to fall. Um, yeah. Because the way they, the way they glorify oh, uh, yeah. creation is just so close yeah. to- Un- Unfortunately, the people who've pulled back the veil and showcased a lot of the complexity and beauty are the, the secular people. Yeah. And the secular scientists or videographers, and we have Attenborough to thank a lot for for bringing some of the most fantastic stuff that most most of us wouldn't have never seen uh, into the living room. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, it's all been evolution, you know, a, a godless narration that just says it all happened by chance. But let's let's get into the the fantastical aspects of this group. Yeah. And talk about some of the the unity of the group, but also the diversity in the group. And uh, for those of you that have had biology or in biology, some of you younger, uh, some of our younger listeners, uh, the echinoderms have this uh, unifying uh, system that's um, a hydraulic system that's internal called the water vascular system. And it's got a, a sieve plate or a madreporite that is like a basically a sieve that pulls in seawater through this hard hard sieve with tiny pores in it. So it filters the seawater, brings it into a stone canal, which leads down to this ring canal uh, that sort of is in the central disc of, say, a sea star. And then radiating off of the ring canal, you can think of the ring canal as sort of a rotunda. And then you've got these uh, radial canals running up each arm of the sea star. And then <clears throat> Coming off those radio canals or lateral canals, which then terminate in a little balloon-like uh, sac called an ampulla and then a tube foot. 
And if you look at the underside of a sea star, you'll see hundreds of tube feet sticking out of these uh, what are called ambulacral grooves on the underside. And they don't walk in any cool, noticeable pattern like a millipede where you see these waves of legs going down. These They all seem to be on their own schedule when they am- perambulate. They they walk. So when you look, if you look at a sea star walking across glass from the side, uh, it looks like the tube feet look like a bunch of legs walking, a bunch of people walking across a crosswalk, you know. In opposing directions? Or, or no, all in the same direction, okay. but they're all, they're not marching. <laughs> right. There's not a. They got their own cadence, uh, each one. Each one's got their own cadence. Yeah. And, and you just see these tube feet walking along and moves the whole sea star along. And and that, although you've got other groups like the brittle stars, they have uh, tube feet, but they generally use the tube feet. They don't have suckers on them. They, but they usually use their arms to just move uh, more like a, almost like an octopus, uh, rather than the tube feet moving the whole thing. Mm. And then you got the sea cucumbers. They've got tube feet sticking out on these rows, uh, and and um, their symmetry is a little bit different, but they all sat, share this water vascular system. And it's really amazing. It is pretty amazing. Um, this creature has hydraulic. Hydraulics hydraulic using pressure. seawater. Uh, it's filtered seawater. And then they use muscles and cilia to move the tube feet around and contract the ampulla to extend the tube foot. Just is just really, there's nothing that compares to it, say, in a vertebrate. Yeah. Um, they just are different. God just totally uh, started when, when he makes a, f- when he creates a phylum, he's basically just starting from scratch almost. Uh, the next great masterpiece. Here it's comes like, the phylum. Okay, we'll do an animal. Yeah. yeah. It wiggles, but let's just race the, race the chalkboard and dry erase nowadays. And let's just start from scratch and yeah. make some bizarre creature. That's got a di- totally different layout than anything else. Uh, that's so the kind of uh, so. Go ahead and uh, yeah, uh, I was uh, just going to uh, say you know run, this is this really is unique with, to uh, so lots of creatures have tubes. We we talk about tubed creatures. We talk about creatures that are vascular. Mm-hmm. We our tubes are our blood vessels uh, and we're uh, there are other tubes. We're we're mostly tubes. Lymph. Our lymph digestive vessels, system is a is a tube. is a tube. And Our so respiratory systems are a bunch of tubes. Yeah. Lymphatics, you so said. Any any creature that has tubes is called vascular. So you have vascular creatures and non-vascular creatures. And even plants, many, many of the plants, most of the plants are vascular as well. You know, the mosses and some of the liverworts and some of those small low-growing plants aren't vascular. But so this this type of they vascular always say, I always laugh because they say they're non-vascular, but when you slice a moss, you've got they just don't call them xylem and phloem. They call them leptoids and hydroids. Okay. But gotcha. Man, they have tubes. They've got tubes. <laughs> they got tubes. They, Most they, creatures have tubes. Good. They're not very good at transporting really great, long, high distances, but they, uh, yeah. That's anyway. funny. No, that's a big distinction. And, and, and this creature has salt water flowing through its tubes. Yep. To do all of these amazing functions. Yeah. One of the things I find most intriguing about this group is the fact uh, that they have this this five-part radial symmetry or pentameric symmetry. The vast majority, I believe all of them do. Even though sea cucumbers, if you orient them correctly, you can see this yeah. five-part symmetry. 
And you so got some, if some... you're looking down, if you're like standing on a dock and looking down and you see a sea star, penta, a radial symmetry is this idea, or a, let's say a jellyfish first. You're yeah. looking down, you can slice that jellyfish uh, into any, as long as you go across the center, get a true uh, go, diameter, yeah, uh, you're right. going to, you can cut it any which way and you'll get two equal halves. Yeah. Not, more or less mirror not, images. Yeah. Uh, as long as you <clears throat> cut through the central axis. Right. In a straight cutting the pie right down the middle, you'll get two uh, halves that look alike. And that's radial symmetry, whereas we're bilateral. You can only slice us down our center axis down one the nose. way, only one way to get two mirror, more or less mirror images. Right. Um, and these are five-part radial symmetry. It's yeah, more, and of course, more precise. Sea stars, sea stars love to color outside the lines. You've got six-rayed sea stars right. and you got these sunflower sea stars that are just got, uh, you know, I don't know, over 20 arms, I think. Yeah. So, yeah, tell me some, some so things these, so most you of like these, about these guys. Most of these creatures are five-part symmetry, but not all. Um, and I, I, I just, I like sea urchins a lot. We got to dissect sea urchins again this year in marine biology, and I just, it's fabulous. Um, they're such odd-looking creatures. They have, these, they have these spines that cover their body. And these spines are really working out of this kind of almost like a universal joint. Yeah. Each one of them kind of like a, a ball and socket joint. Ball, yeah, balls. And so they can independently move all their spines. They also have tube feet. That, I feel like um, the spines look like they're on a turret. Well, yeah, I think ball and socket's a good good description, but they're sort of on a you know, turret. They can circumduct and uh, rotate. Yeah. This, Really amazing. It is. And they don't look like they should be able to move much, but these creatures are really, uh, really capable of moving. They're also capable of crowding themselves into uh, spaces in between rocks to, to, to avoid being uh, got at. Uh, right. One of the things I loved in, in Steinbeck Sea of Cortez is just the descriptions of them harvesting or collecting invertebrates to, to observe them later. And they put mm -hmm. them in saltwater tanks to observe them later. And the, the tools they had to use, they're talking about crowbars. And pry bars right. to get some of these creatures out of, of their hard substrate environment. Yeah. And some of them can actually, I think, drill down in to make their own cubby in the rock um, using their, their jaws. Yeah. And, and looking at that sea urchin, uh, there's, an, there's a, these creatures that are radial, radial symmetrical, um, at least this group, there's an aboral and an oral side. And so the oral side is where the mouth is and the mouth tends to be facing down against right. the substrate. And then the, the aboral side is the top. And that's where that madriporite, that, that little valve that brings water in, plus the anus is there as well. Um, and these, uh, you can see the symmetry. You can see these, uh, these radiating lines on the, on the calcareous test. Mm -hmm. It's a calcium carbonate test. It's not really an exoskeleton. It's not really an endoskeleton. It's its, it's own thing. Yeah. It's, it's sort of in, inside the skin, but it's uh, outside the body cavity. So it's like an internal kind of a chain mail in the skin. Um, it's like bony skin. Yeah. With the spine sticking through them. But if you just see a sea urchin's test all by itself, you know, without the living tissue, it'll look like a somewhat deflated globe. With these nice, uh, beautiful rows of where the tube feet exit. Yeah. Uh, they look like, if it was a globe, they, they are situated like longitudinal lines yep. running from the aboral to the oral side. Yeah. And you can basically hold it up to a light and see the pinholes where the tube feet actually go through. And on a sea urchin, 
tube feet are quite long. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the spines can be long, but you can sometimes see the tube feet uh, sticking out beyond the spines. Uh, yeah, they're pretty, looking pretty at that under the dissecting scope, yeah. seeing the tube feet there. That was fabulous. And there's, but yeah. there's more too. They have other locomotive types of anatomy there too. Well, mostly the spine, well, depends on the group, but in star sea stars, you're, they mostly move with their tube feet. Sea urchins, uh, tube feet as well. Yeah. But they can also move their spines so they can uh, inch along like they're on stilts. Right. On the, the spines that are sticking out more on the um, oral, oral side, they can stilt along. Yeah. Since they are on these ball and socket joints, so to speak. Uh, you know what I was thinking of? I was yeah. thinking of, uh, not not for locomotion, I misspoke there. There's some other anatomical protuberances there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the parapodia, is that what they're called? Or? Well, the podia is another word for their tube feet. But then there's these other amazing things that just blow me away that you have to look at usually under the microscope, although you can maybe barely see them if you've got your eyeballs real close. They often surround the base of the spines but they're scattered about on the surface of the sea stars or sea urchins. They're called pedicillaria. Yeah, that's the word. Pedicillaria. And they are just weird little stalked pinchers or they're microscopic stalked pinchers or forceps. Some of them are three-pronged. Some of them are, I think, two. Some of them work more like scissors. Others look like a, a three-pronged claw. Hmm. And they're, again, very, very small. But I talked to one researcher at Friday Harbor when I took my students' field trip there. And he was an older guy. I think he was retired, but he was still dabbling in his research. And his, you know, he was an echinoderm guy. He was a Chinese man, and he studied echinoderms, I think, most of his life. And you know, I was inquiring about this pedicillaria, and he says, they have dubious function. <laughs> but generally in the textbooks, you'll see like that, that they um, seem to keep the aboral surface clear of debris. You know, these are slow moving creatures and there's all sorts of things that want to homestead on the surface of, yeah. of some other sea creature's body. Yep. And these pedicillaria can pinch various debris or ecto, you know, things that are just taking up residence, maybe a parasite or even a barnacle that just wants some real free estate. ride, yeah. And they pick things off and keep that upper surface clean and toss it off to the side. Again, um, I've seen them move, you know. I think he said yeah, they are dubious function just because I don't know how, how much he's seen them. They're such elaborate structures for yeah. them to not do something. And, right. I, and I think that, you know, they do... They do do some housekeeping. It's, but, you know, whether they do some more, they have their own muscles that operate the pinchers. And if you ever look at a sea urchin under a microscope live, so like it's saltwater, if, if you've got microscopes on the seashore near, have a lab near the seashore where you've got saltwater basins that keep your specimens live, and then you can stick these sea urchins in a, a deep dish glass with cold salt water so they're moving and then put it under a dissecting scope or a stereo microscope and look at the tube feet moving look at the pedicillaria moving look at the awesome it i could just look at a sea just a game changer 
I can look at a sea urchin skin all day long. Yeah. Just because it is fantastically beautiful. Yeah. The symmetry of the spines, the pedicillaria, it's just incredible. Awesome. Uh, it, I mean, it makes the, the landscape of Paralandra look like pfft, nothing. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's just incredible landscape. If, if you feel like you're on a, on a weird other planet landscape with all sorts of living things popping out of the rock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's awesome. So we have sea stars, we have sea urchins, uh, sea cucumbers. Yeah. Yeah. Which are apparently all of these creatures. I don't know about sea stars, but I know that uh, some folks like eat to eat sea urchin. You can get it at a fancy uh, I've seen, I've Japanese seen restaurant or sushi restaurant. My friend's uh, father-in-law, I saw him eat a sea cucumber yeah. on Maui. Yeah. They, we went camping on Ranch Beach and he'd throw these sea cucumbers on the grill like they were hot dogs. and Throw uh, them in a bun? I didn't see any mustard or ketchup or <laughs> bun, uh, but he would munch these sea cucumbers down after they'd been on the grill for a, a while. Wow. Did he take any parts off of them? Or no, did he just, he just them, ate it. Just ate them right down. they were doing that with fish too. They would catch reef fish and yeah. stick it on the grill. They didn't even gut the fish at all. It was just head, scales, bones at all, and they just munched these fish right on down. My wow. friend and I were the only howlies among the uh, the whole group. Uh, I don't know that term. Oh, that's just, uh, uh, I guess, a derogatory term for white Okay, gotcha. White people. Yes. So we, we were, were actually gringos. living. Yeah, it's like gringo yeah. uh, in Hawaii. Uh, and so we were amongst his wife's relatives. You know, his wife was Hawaiian. And uh, we were just, you know, I remember beachcombing there on Maui and walking. I felt, man, this is sort of, felt like I was walking on a wrestling mat. I looked down and I was walking on a carpet of sea cucumbers, which was actually- That's cool. I didn't know at the time, but some of you know, that kind of treatment might have caused sea cucumbers to defend themselves. What, what do they do, Will? Yeah, we've talked about this in the show before. They shoot their, shoot their guts out of one oh, yeah. end or did the we, other. Did we talk about it in, in terms of defense, but not in terms- We haven't talked about echinoderms, right? No. Particularly. No. We okay, just talked so, about yeah. them as a defense mechanism, oh, yeah, shooting, yeah, yeah. shooting the guts out of one opening or the other. Yeah. Yeah. So, so how big were those ones you were, you were walking on? Oh, what I think- What a cool that, experience. Uh, they were probably six to eight inches, my guess. And, um, but they were all huddled together and none of them eviscerated, or at least I, that I knew of. Yeah. But they also, they're sort of laying sidewalks like, uh, like a cucumber, but instead of having these two, like on a sea star, you've got the five ambulacral grooves on the underside of their arms. But and on a sea urchin, you've got the ambulacral areas running up like longitudinal lines. On the sea urchin. Yeah. And then on the sea cucumber, it's like, take take the sea urchin, tip it sideways and yep. get it and, and lengthen it so that the oral surface, instead of facing down, the oral surface is facing now forward. anterior. Anterior. Yeah. And the aboral surface Stretch is, this thing is on the posterior end. <laughs> and instead of two, well, they've got two feet running down those rows yeah. lengthwise. Yeah. So it makes them look kind of cucumbery. You know how cucumbers will have those longitudinal sort of stripes. Yep. That's where the two feet are. And then around the mouth on the front end, you've got these fluffy tentacles, which are 
kind of uh, an extension of the water vascular system, like tube feet, but branching and fluffy. And they use those for feeding. So they'll wave their fluffy branchy tentacles, usually five. Yeah. Because of the pentamerous symmetry, wave them around in the water and uh, it's like coated with mucus. So they collect plankton and other suspended uh, organic debris. And then they stuff those tentacles in their mouth and, you know, suck it off. There's a lot of mucus out there yeah. in nature. There's, you know, a, and, and some of them move their tentacles in the debris. I mean, uh, on the substrate. Yeah. So those are deposit feeders. Yeah. They're picking up organic stuff out of the muck and feeding themselves, uh, shoveling in muck and then like a earthworm digesting all the good bits. And excreting the bag. yeah yeah I want to look into that we were chatting about that earlier too is I wonder if these wonder if these uh, cucumbers say play some type of similar role to the terrestrial earthworm terrestrial earthworms yeah. really important for aerating the soil and just making nutrients available and well and some of them eat like an earthworm yeah I, yeah it's know, interesting they don't air you know totally but yeah according any uh, any cool things well I I was reading else? in Steinbeck so Steinbeck's <clears> um. Sea of Cortez and one of the sea cucumbers that they were observing um, seemed to have a, a kind of a symbiotic relationship with uh, fish species mm-hmm. where the fish actually seemed to dwell inside of its anus. Okay. And it would, it would whenever they, well, they squeezed the sea cucumber and this fish popped out. Okay. Wow. And then as soon as it got out, that fish wanted to go right back in. Wow. And so this little tiny fish species, apparently- Is it a commensal or- uh, I do not know. I haven't researched yeah, that since yeah. reading it, but I thought That's that was pretty amazing. interesting. That's amazing. Yeah. And then the the uh, brittle stars are known, for, well, a lot of them are known for great regeneration. Like when they <laughs> blow their guts, they can grow them back. Uh, you can knock an arm off a sea star and it'll grow back. But brittle stars are particularly good at regeneration. You touch them in the- they're, that's why they're called brittle stars. They they can jettison their their arms really quickly hmm. and regrow them. So it's uh, the regeneration abilities of these guys are great. Uh, actually, I knew somebody uh, that was working on aquaculture of sea cucumbers, where they stick a rubber band around the sea cucumber because in Asian markets, you know, it was a popular seafood. Mm-hmm. So the idea of pinching the rubber band would ligate the sea cucumber and pinch in and then eventually pinch it in half and you get two sea cucumbers. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Just let the rubber band pinch. It's like, well, we don't like this tight band around our waist. We'll just keep letting it pinch, pinch <laughs> us in half. We'll show you. <laughs> yeah. So brittle stars a- are brittle stars are a little bit a little bit more, I would say less uh less of the charismatic and and they almost look a little eerie. A lot of them, they are a eerie. lot of them in deeper, <clears throat> deeper waters. Yeah, um, really, a very common sea floor creature yeah, throughout are. the world's ocean. They are, and there's yeah. just a lot of. I mean, we're just scraping the surface uh, of these guys. There's so many different, you know, species of each major group. Yeah, and all of them are. It's very hard to. You can generalize some things like the anatomy, but there's so much variety in all of these things. Most are most are predatory, and they're yeah. pretty voracious. Um, most sea stars, for sure, predatory. 
Uh, but even your brittle stars will be, some of them are predatory, but some of them are suspension feeders. They'll, they'll secrete mucus and form like clotheslines between kind of mucusy clotheslines between their spines. Hmm. And then various particles will fall on these mucus strands. And then after they've got a nice catch, they haul in the, the, the mucus strands and spool it in. And then that mucus strand will go from the aboral surface and get spooled down underneath and into the mouth. Wow. So that's remarkable. And then your, then your sea urchins are mostly herbivores. There's some predators. Sea urchins will. A lot of them are grazers. Grazers on kelp. On kelp. Yeah. And other algaes. So yeah. Interesting. I mean, we could, you know, we can talk about kelp forest ecosystems and the relationship of that with sea, I mean, but the, the, for another time. Yeah, the um, the one feature that really stood out to me as remarkable in the sea urchin uh, during the dissection is the is these large, strangely built vertical. Well, they're 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 tall, but they don't function vertically. If you look at the oral s- uh, surface of the sea urchin, you can see often see like five teeth, five sharp little teeth there, um, that match the the rest of the creature's pentameric symmetry. But up above those are these are these jaws that kind of move the teeth in and out to be able to to be able to munch and uh they're built in this strange fashion that someone thought looked a lot like uh one of those uh horn horn uh, lanterns from like the medieval times medieval or was it real ancient greek i don't well, know well they're called aristotle's lanterns because lantern, that's the, even farther back but the lanterns that i did a little homework on this and the lanterns they seem to be referring to tended to be these these um, mm-hmm. pentagonal or hexagonal uh, lanterns that were made of with horn. It's actual horn, horny material that allowed the light to shine through. Okay. It was kind of translucent. Uh, neat, yeah. Nice. And so this is a strange apparatus. Called the Aristotle. Yeah, the Aristotle's lantern. Yeah. And it, it, if you take it out of the sea urchin, it, it look, it's amazing structure. And you can see why it looks like some kind of ancient lantern. But they use those five... It's an amazing musculature that opens up those five jaws and munches, munches away yeah. at, at kelp. Incredible. And, and if you've got an army of sea urchins, they can, they can take a, a kelp forest down. Yeah. They're a neat like creature. Like a bunch of loggers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Loggers of the intertidal, Logger, yeah. not oh, intertidal the sub, zone, subtitle I guess. Zone. Right. Subtitle zone. Getting into the, yeah. the, the ocean a little bit more there. Well, this is a neat group. Uh, I never get tired of thinking or reading or, or observing any type of echinoderm. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's, yeah. Yeah, and keep them distinct from sea anemones. Sea anemones are in another group, the, like with the jellyfish, the yep. cnidarians. But a lot of people sometimes will think lump sea urchins with sea anemones because yeah. they're sort of flowery. Anyway. Well, good uh, stuff. It is, is good to chat about these uh, amazing creatures. Yes, indeed. Thanks, Gordon. All right. We'll see you, Will. See you next time. Notes from the Field will be on break till the new year, but as a special year-end gift, we'd like to give you 30 days of free access to all of the audiobooks and videos from Dr. Gordon Wilson over on Canon+. Plus. Head over to MyCanonPlus.com to take advantage of this limited trial offer ending January 1st. Canon Plus is home to hours of talks, interviews, and audiobooks. Head over to MyCanonPlus.com and start listening today. Your membership to Canon Plus is a great way to support this podcast. 
If you would like more content from Will and Gordon, please consider subscribing today. Thank you and Merry Christmas from everyone here at Canon Press.